everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. This is episode 27. I am your host, Delton, and with me today, as usual, is my lovely wife, Haley. I am lovely, and I am his wife. Today is a special day. It's only a Tuesday. However, yesterday, Haley did one of the best things that she could do, which is absolutely dominate the National Counselor's Examination which means once she finishes her hours under supervision, she will be an official LPC, which is a licensed professional counselor. Hopefully, as Grandma B would say, if the good Lord is willing and the creeks don't rise. Never heard that. At least the full thing, but that's okay. But anyway, congrats. Thank you. I was telling Delton, I was more nervous for that test than my driver's ed test, my graduate school interviews, my GRE, and my wedding day combined. I was so sweaty when I took that test. I was so nervous. I have never seen her so anxious as she was before that test. And she studied and studied and studied and studied some more. But it paid off. She got 133 out of 160? Yes. Out of the 160 questions they count, she got 133 correct. I only needed 88. She only needed 88 to pass. The average is a 107. So she did very well. So, hold the beer. Will you hold the beer out I'm of my hands? I'm holding the beer. Yay! Oh, I get claps. Thank you, honey. You get some claps, but that's all. That's over. For uh, that's okay. Hey, I got Thai food out of it. <laughs> we, yep, we went and celebrated. We got some Thai food. Whenever you are under supervision as a candidate, you have to hire a supervisor. My supervisor's name is Holly, and she is an amazing human being. But the first person I texted after the test was Delton. The second person I texted was my supervisor, Holly. And the first thing she asked was, is it time to get Thai to light? And yes, ma'am, it was. I ate so many gallons of Thai Delight last night. But that's not the only awesome thing that happened yesterday. Delton got a raise! Yay, I got a raise from work, which means with Christmas coming, bills are going to be a little bit easier with all the holiday, you know, requirements. That also means I pay off my computer bill faster, which means I can start to save to upgrade the podcast quality with, you know, actual good microphones. Not that the Yeti's not a great mic, because it is. But we can have our own microphones, I can have the mixing board, and I can actually upgrade this to the step that I want to take it. And so that puts me a step toward that, as well as just a step toward our financial stability in the, for the future. We can also afford... Da-da-da-da! More sound effects! Am I supposed to put in some wacky, like, loony sound effect there? No, we can't afford it. That's why I made one up. <laughs> oh, is that what the da-da-da-da was? Da-da-da-da! Oh, I thought you were wanting me to put something in I found for free on the internet. No, we're not. We're above that now. I don't think we're ever going to be above. <laughs> if we're above that, we have to scrap literally everything I've ever made for the podcast transitions. Like I said. Creative Commons licensing. I love it. It's amazing. We're going to crack the beer as a celebratory beer for Haley's amazing accomplishment of passing her test. Thank and you, honey. for me getting a raise, which is also helpful. Dozens of dollars. So this is from Surly Brewing Company out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is one, again, that our friend Gates, when she came to stay with us, brought us. We've had it in the fridge, saving all of those beers for the podcast. Thank you, Gates. This is the Hell Lager. It is a 5% alcohol by volume lager. It says, finally, surly beer my German mother will drink. She says this one tastes like a beer from back home, and it spells beer in the German manner. Not unlike the Spickelbier from Germany, Hell is fermented with lager yeast and not filtered. American hops take a back seat of this pills malt sweetness and fresh bread aroma. The color is, well, hell, Deutsch for light. Uh, so it tells you that's German for light. 
It's fiendishly drinkable, and you don't have to sell your soul to get another. Boom. We'll crack this open as our celebratory beer. What if you want to sell your soul? How many can you get? How many beers for your soul? Yes. Well, I mean, the first thing you should obviously sell your soul for is the ability to play blues really well. But I can already play blues really well. I don't believe that for a second. This beer smells like beer. Mm. It's really zany at the first drink, but as it hits the back of your tongue, it really mellows out. You can taste the hops in the back end, where they were put in really early in the brew, so that way they add a little bit more of that bitterness toward the end rather than that aroma that's up front. It's a good one. It's a good solid lager. So one thing we haven't do, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out, mad about meeple, we have not turned the heater on yet. <laughs> they had commented on a Instagram post of ours with Haley passing her test and said we should celebrate by turning on the heat. And I, I reject that. that sentiment. I second that with all my heart and soul. It is 70 degrees in the house right now when it's like 62 outside. So once it drops, it's only gotten 65 once. It usually stays 69 to 70. Yeah, that's one time too many. Now, if it starts I'm little. getting under 68 more than it has like it's only been under it once if it starts getting down consecutively or consistently i should say then yes i'll turn the heater on and start maintaining the house but for now it is free not free it's a lower electric bill without all the heater running mad about meeple i'm so glad you have my back i thought that delton was the one who loved me but now i know it is truly you thank you for looking out for me she needs somebody to look out for her (laughs) because After her taking that test, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> You're tired. I know. Man, I got out of that test yesterday, and it was about four hours of just reading questions, answering questions, trying not to cry, doing your coping skills. And as soon as I got that piece of paper that said passed, all of a sudden my belly goes. It was like a Wookiee in my belly. I was so hungry. Yeah, she immediately texted me, said she ate all of her raisins. And that's when I said, we're going to go eat stinking Thai food tonight. Gallons of it. And that's what we did. We ate a butt ton of Thai food and then went and bought her two books from Half Price Books and then went to Target to get some stuff. And I bought a copy of the game with the Quan Chai Moria art, which is the Target exclusive version. And that was our evening yesterday, aside from the game of the episode, which we'll talk about. So this is Tuesday. Uh, Episode 26 had just came out two days ago on Sunday. So, you know, when we're recording this now, this episode will release. I think it's the 17th which is the last day of BGG Con. We have to record it now because Haley leaves for Canada Friday of this week. I needed time to record it, but then I'm gone next week, Wednesday through that Sunday for BGG Con, so I won't have time to edit. So we had to record it early so I can edit it early to make sure I can get it out on time and not end up missing anything. And to make sure we come back with lots of stories for next podcast. The next podcast, episode 28, will be all about Canada for Haley and BGG Con for me. So I'm hoping to have a lot of cool stories and be able to talk about all the people I met and the games I played and things like that. So it should be a good episode, at least a lot of fun for us to rehash our memories just after. But like I said, in celebration yesterday, after we got home and got done with everything, we decided to play a game. That game is what we're going to talk about today. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. So the game for today is Altiplano. Now this game is published by DLP Games out of, I believe, Germany, but it has been brought over by Renegade Games here in the US. It is designed by Reiner Stockhausen, 
The illustrator is my favorite illustrator in the industry, Clemens Franz. It has a graphic designer that is Andrea Katnick. Production artist is Jeff Oglesby. And the editor is Dustin Schwartz. Altiplano is a game that I picked up at Gen Con. I had been looking at it and was curious about it for a long time because it is a bag builder, which was a term I had not heard much in the game industry. And I was interested in it and curious about it because there was an alpaca on that front. A really cute alpaca on the front. I got an alpaca pin from Gen Con because of him. Oh, that's true. We do have that pin. So the bag builder, the only other time I had heard this term is with a game called Orleone or Orleans from TMG, Tasty Minstrel Games. Now, I have not played that, so I cannot compare the two, so just keep that in mind. So Altiplano is a bag-building game, so you're probably thinking they're going, okay, what's a bag-building game, which is, was my thought exactly. A bag-builder is very similar to a deck-builder. In a deck-builder, you're going to draw a hand of cards, use those cards, discard some stuff, maybe buy a card to add to your discard pile, then you draw new cards up at the end of the turn or the beginning of the next turn, and take a new turn. In a bag-building game, you have tokens instead that you pull from a bag randomly. They're all the same size and shape. And you use those tokens to do stuff. Then with those tokens, you're going to spin them and discard them to buy more tokens. Then when your bag runs out and you can't draw any, you dump them back in, shuffle it around, and you've essentially shuffled your tokens just like it was a deck of cards. So it's essentially a deck builder. It's just simplified in terms of what you're drawing from your bag. So instead of drawing cards with actions on them and symbols that do different things, in this game, that's actually your resources you're drawing. So it's a resource management game, and those resources are what you're buying, what you're using to buy other things, what you're using to make different ways to get points, and things like that. And though there are alpacas in this game, there is no chance for any of them to die. There is no chance for any of them to die, which is very good for Haley. Very good for Haley. We have gone over this multiple, multiple times with games such as Agricola and Lowlands. But though you can sell your llamas, they do not die. So Haley gives it the vegan seal of approval. Ta -da! <laughs> the, the vegan seal of approval. That's pretty good. So what's neat about this game is being like a deck builder, you have things to do with it. So there is the random aspect of drawing things. You have a limited number you can draw in the beginning and you can expand on that later. But what I find fun about this game is you actually take these tokens when you draw them out and you plan with them ahead of time. You draw the tokens, everybody draws however many they're supposed to draw, which you can increase that number throughout the game. But you plan with these tokens. So it's a really neat aspect versus a normal deck builder where you have to function with just that hand in front of you. In Altiplano, you put tokens down and you can halfway fulfill one of the actions on your player board and then just leave that token there for later. So you can kind of seed those actions as partially done, draw more from your bag the next turn, and then have enough to fulfill multiple actions during that turn. So it's kind of nice because you have the ability to plan ahead further than most games that have this sort of deck building, uh, or I kind of want to say pool building style. Plus, there are alpacas all throughout the game. So the way you actually take actions is your board is split into different regions. So there's like a harbor and a market and... Uh, like a forest and stuff. And those are different tiles on the board. You actually have to move a person around on those tiles. So this is one of the things that I kind of enjoyed about the game, even though it was frustrating at times, is that you have a little cart that you use to move one to three spaces with your little person, which means you can move from one place to any other place on the table. Because if you go one direction, it's three. The other direction is three. You can touch all seven tiles. However, if you want to do an action, let's say you go to the harbor to do an action, 
your little guy's on the harbor. You do whatever action you have there. Your opponent goes, comes back to you, and you want to go to the forest. Well, you move your little cart and you go to the forest. Well, now if you want to go somewhere else, let's say the market, and do something, you can't unless you have a food that you have planned to be used for that movement. And depending on how far away it is, you have to have another cart. So it's this kind of neat thing, too, where it seems like you have all these actions immediately available. But even then, there's more planning to be done. I think that's a big theme with this game and part of why I like it so much is it really is nothing but planning. You're going to draw those tiles out and say, okay, what do I do with these? Where can I put them? Well, then you think, okay, where's my little guy on those seven tiles in the middle of the table? How many carts do I have? How much food can I allocate to extra movement? How many alpacas do I need? Because alpacas do give you more resources for points and stuff. And it's maybe should I buy a cart so I have another cart to use? And if the food's already allocated, I can then move extra And there's just a lot of planning. I mean, the whole time it's strategic planning. It's when can I do this? How can I do this? Which direction should I string these together? If I get bad draws this time, should I allocate these to those actions and plan for those and then hope next time to get what I need to do this action? And just the whole time is planning, 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 figuring out your strategy and trying to execute it in the most efficient way. And it's really satisfying when you get to pull off big turns. Right. I think I only really had one of those, though, like one big turn. I think you did. Because every other time I was focused on doing one or two actions around, one or two actions around, one or two actions around. And then there was one point where I had built up some plays all throughout the board. Like Delton said, you can leave tiles to play later on uh, whenever you want to activate those tiles. And so, you know, Delton had a few, uh, quite a few turns where he had a lot of big plays. And I only had one turn where I had a big play. But at the end of the game, we are still very close. So there's different strategies you could use as well. Yeah, that's one thing we really liked is that Haley went with a strategy. There are these order cards that you essentially get different tokens and you put those tokens on these orders to fulfill them. Now, it makes those tokens worth nothing for you at the end of the game. But those orders have very high point values. Yeah, I got I think I have 40 points out of my 63 from just those cards. You did, just from those. And I, on the other hand, went more for the warehouse and valuable tokens. So there's a warehouse that every player has. When you get valuable tokens, such as the silver, the glass, the cloth, things like that, you can put them in this warehouse. It's basically that each row of the warehouse shelves has to have just one type of good. So if the bottom is cloth, it can only hold cloth. Any row that's full, you get points for it. Well, all of those tokens give you the point value that those tokens are worth, as well as if the row's full, you get those points. So I went that route to where I was trying really hard. I was using a fish over in the harbor to make ore, taking the ore over to the mountains to use it with the food to turn it into silver. Even though neither one of those are scientifically accurate. Neither one of those. I don't know how fish make ore. Who the hell knows? Uh, But that was an extension tile I bought to give me an extra action to be able to do that, you know? Uh, But then I was making this silver, which is a high point token, and I was just making as much as possible. I was using my one alpaca to make wool, and then using that wool to make cloth, and I was just pumping out tokens that were expensive as fast as possible. And that was really my main strategy, was I want tokens, tokens, tokens to fill my warehouse up to get more points out of those tokens. And Haley went with the orders route, so it was nice that we went with Two pretty opposite strategies in terms of how we're getting our highest amount of points, but we ended up three points apart. Haley had 63 and I had 66. So I was so close to beating Delton because for my 
tile collection, I had to draw five tiles for my bag. Well, I had six tiles in my bag, which means I had one tile left over. Well, one tile that I needed in there was one of my llama ones. If I had my llama one, I could have converted it to make some glass, which would have given me four points, which would have put me one point ahead of Delton. So I draw five of the six tiles, and guess which one tile is left over? The alpaca, not a llama, you heathen. Llama, 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 alpaca. Anyway, that one was the one that was left in the bag, and if I would have drawn that one on my last turn, I would have defeated Delton by one point. But alas, the alpaca betrayed me, probably because I was calling him a llama the entire game, and he was offended. I think that's probably the case for sure. But yes, Haley was one token from beating me by a point. And I had to really sit and think and plan out my last turn super heavily. But that does bring in a point of there are instances where the random draw of the tiles can hinder you for a turn. Now, the game ends when one of the little seven tiles on the middle of the board is out of tokens. Or you have expended the extensions deck. So there's this little stack of tokens that are extensions. They basically give you more actions that you can purchase. And if those ever run out, then the game has one more turn. Or if one of those seven tiles in the middle runs out of tokens, then the game has one more turn. So we were down to that last turn, and I finally got to pull off something I was trying to the whole game, and then Haley missed the one draw she needed. So there is some luck involved, even though there are ways around it, such as using the boats to get a token you don't have, or getting those extension tiles to have more actions. So there, there's some things to do with it. But it still is something that being a bag builder, you're throwing stuff in a bag, drawing randomly, you do have to consider that. That's one thing I really like about the warehouse, which is the strategy I took. Because with the warehouse, you can take tokens you don't need in that rotation of what you're drawing and put them in the warehouse. You'll still get points for them, but then they're not in your rotation of discarding, drawing, planning. And you don't have to worry about, crap, I didn't need this cloth, I wanted another food. Well, put the cloth in the warehouse, you don't have to deal with it anymore, but you get points at the end of the game. So that's another really nice thing, is that you can slim your deck out, essentially. Right, unlike like a traditional deck builder where you're just kind of stuck with the cards that you have, like in Dominion, whenever you get the point cards. The point cards are worth points at the end of the game, but whenever you draw a hand of four point cards and then one, I don't know, spell card, you're really not going to have much luck. Yeah, unless you have the like certain cards that allow you to scrap or discard or whatever. Right, but I really like the game. It is definitely more complex than what the fun graphic design leads on. I know we talked about that in a few, a few podcasts ago, how graphic design kind of makes you think a board game is going to be easy or not easy, specifically when we were talking about Root. Yeah, and that was a little more toward the illustration side, but I agree because Clemens Franz, if you know his game like Agricola, Caverna, Oh My Goods, Isle of Sky, he has a nice light style. And so it always looks super welcoming, especially with how cute the alpaca on the cover of Altiplano is. Which is great because it does look very welcoming. And so me looking at the game, I think, oh, it's going to be a cute little llama game. But then I open up the box. I'm like, oh, God, here goes an hour and a half of my life where I have to think constantly and plan my entire time and like use all my glucose and then get really sleepy. Yeah, it is one of those games. Now, I will say it takes a second to learn it because there is a lot of tokens to remember the food token, the stone token, the ore token, the silver token, the cloth. token. I mean, there's a lot. And the graphic design, aside from that, though, it all makes sense. And once you learn how the game plays and you play like a round or two, it's simple from there. Like you could sit down with this game and get it out. And pretty much without reading the rulebook, I think you'd be good to go once you've played it one time. It's not that difficult once you've learned it. It's just the learning curve is not super steep, but it's it's enough that you really have to actually focus on what you're doing. 
The only thing graphic design-wise that does not make sense is the fact that food plus llama equals silk. I'll never understand that. Not silk, but wool. You're feeding the llama, and you're shaving him while you're feeding him. I thought that's that was how silk. I took it. No, that's wool, and then you turn that into cloth. Wool, I'll be. Exactly. But I really liked Altiplano. I knew I would by looking at it. I love Clemens Franz. I know he's just the artist, but when he's used in a game, I almost always end up liking that game, and I think it's just that style is something that appeals to me. And I like alpacas. And Haley likes alpacas. So we really liked it. We've only played it once, so take this with a grain of salt. I think it would be good over repeat plays um, because there are some things that vary in the setup, but I think it's a fun enough game and it's a rewarding enough experience with the planning strategy that as long as you take your time, plan it out, and just kind of go for it and have fun, I think you're going to have a good time. I will say, I think if somebody has an engine up and running super efficiently, you're just going to get left in the dust. The thing with it, there's no player interaction aside from, hey, you bought that, I wanted it. And there's not a lot of that. Thankfully, neither one of us had a great engine up and running. Neither one of us did. but So we... it was an equal playing field. Exactly. But we really liked Altiplano based off our first play. So if you want to look into it, check it out. I, I did watch, to help me learn it, the John Gets Games playthrough on YouTube. It's very good. It shows you the game and you kind of get to hear some thoughts and things like that. So check out Altiplano if it sounds interesting to you. We used Altiplano as kind of a reward for the good things that happened this week, which was Haley passing her test, me getting a raise, all those things. So we thought that would tie in really well to a theme about using board games. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So before we get into the topic, we're going to crack our second beer for the episode. This is from Surly Brewing as well. Is it Shirley or Surly? Surly. I read it as Surly. Don't call me Surly. S-U-R-L-Y. Same one as last time. This is the Extra Citra Pale Ale. It is a 4.5% alcohol by volume. On the back, it says, get extra Surly. You'd think hops in the bright sunshine would make us happy, but you'd be wrong. It just makes us extra Surly. This bright-colored session ale explodes with citra hop flavor and aroma in a deliciously drinkable brew. Put your shades on and enjoy an extraordinarily bright beer experience. Okay, enough with the X's, we promise. Cheers. So every time there was an X word like explodes or uh, extraordinary, it was just an X and then a TR for extra blah blah blah, whatever. You get it. Yeah. That was a very loud pop tab. There was a loud pop tab. I'm fine with it. I can smell straight up citra hop. Oh my gosh. Mmm, smells like orange juice. Haley's giving it a taste. It tastes like if high C was a beer. Like if you fermented high C, that's what this tastes like. That sounds gross. I don't smell that. It smells like an IPA. The amount of citra hop in this. But it has, you know, you remember drinking high C? Yeah. You remember though from that little yellow juice box? Yes. So... You know, whenever you drink a high C, it like felt on your tongue soft almost. I see what you're saying. It has that real, there's not a lot of heavy mouthfeel. It's not a ton of carbonation once you take a drink. No. It's it, kind of smooth on the tongue. It has the mouthfeel of high C. And then combined with that little bit of citrus, it's like you threw a bunch of yeast into a box of high C. And then the yeast ate up all of the sugars and made alcohol and just had a little bit of high C aftertaste. That's what this tastes like. I feel like this is a really good summer beer. Out if it's hot, it's kind of sweet. It's got a little bit of the zip and tang from that citra hop, a little bit of citrusy. 
but then it's smooth and gentle too. So I think this would be a nice, good, like summery beer. Go great with an adult happy meal. Yes, I agree with that. An adult, some sort of meal with a bunch of French fries. Yes. Okay, so you get me. You get me in this taste. Yes, I get you in the taste. It is good. It's actually really good. Um, this is probably my favorite one from Surly so far, but it just, the problem is, is that it's November now <laughs> and this needs to be drank in the summer months. That is true, but I will drink this anytime. It is beer. Yes, it is beer. So for today's topic, we wanted to discuss how people use board games to fulfill different things in their lives. Now, I'm not saying that as in like, I want to be happy, make me happy. And then there's board games, which yes, that can be true. A little too true for Dalton. Sometimes, yes. I'm meaning more as people use board games to sometimes celebrate, sometimes to take their mind off of something stressful, sometimes to make them happy when they've had a sad day or a bad day, sometimes to... Make friends. To make friends. Sometimes it's to get closer to somebody. Put people through the friendship test. There's all kinds of things that people use board games for. I say friendship test because that's really how we got close to Zach and Sarah. Like, we were always friends with Zach and Sarah. Like, Zach and I went to Deer Creek together uh, whenever we were doing our practicum. And so, like, we, and we always bonded pretty well at cohort parties. But it wasn't until we started to invite them over for game days and they invited us over and we started playing board games together. That's really when our friendship strengthened. What would you say? I agree with that. Yeah, it's really, board games for us has helped bonding with new friends, old friends, and I think each other as well. It gives you a social element to focus on, interact around, and I think it takes some of the, for me, social anxiety, but I think it takes some of the stressful situations that happen in social situations away because if you find a lull in a conversation, you think about your next play in the board game. You have an excuse to why you haven't said anything. You have an excuse to diverting your eye contact, whatever it is. So I feel like it's very helpful, especially for people that can struggle in social situations, but it does allow you to become closer because you get used to each other's personalities. Gain that confidence. And gain that confidence, yeah, around a game. And then when you start to take the game away, it's a little more comfortable with those people, I think. I think that's how it was for Allison, too, because Allison came over for dinner a few times. I know she came over for studying for with you and James whenever you were in school together. But once she started coming over to play board games, then we really, I felt like we get to know each other. You get to know each other really well when you're playing a game because you are seeing each other stressed. You're seeing each other happy. You're seeing each other confused and problem solving. And so you meet so many different facets of a personality of a person whenever you are playing a game with them that you wouldn't meet in a regular conversation. I agree with that completely. And speaking of Allison, another shout out like we do every episode to Allison, our Patreon backer. Thank you, Allison, for supporting us on Patreon. My beautiful friend. Helping us take our next step to podcast quality upgrades. If you want to be like Allison and help us get to the next level of podcasting quality, then you can check us out on Patreon.com or on PodPledge.com. And there's a couple of different tier levels. Allison is the highest tier level where we shout her out. But she's the highest on the tier in my life. But yes, board games work as that social buffer in a way. And they do. You can develop better friendships around them. I think that's one of the biggest, best things about board games by far. And board games can also help with emotional times, good and bad. Like last night, we came home after eating, bought Haley some books, we went to Target, and we wanted to play a game. I mean, one, we needed to play a game for the podcast. But two, we wanted to sit down and play a game as kind of a reward. So lately, since last Wednesday, so 
tomorrow will be exactly a week. I have been getting up at 5 a.m. every morning on the dot, except for today was 4.45 because the cat woke me up. I've been getting up at 5 o'clock and going to bed earlier, and I've been doing super well about it because I have a new alarm that forces me to get up and take a picture, and I set it as my stove. It's a little brutal, but it works. And I feel like I've done really well, so I wanted to kind of give myself a small reward also of staying up a little past what I should. So when we played Altiplano, we were up to like 11, which is crazy because I've been asleep by like 9.30 every night. Old man, take a look at my life. I'm a lot like you. But it's kind of a reward. And I think a lot of people do that. They say, you know, I did good at work today. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to play some games and hang out. And the best part is you still spend that time with somebody. It's not like you're playing a video game by yourself in your computer room for several hours without any interaction. You're spending it with somebody, but you're still getting to celebrate. You still get to play whatever game you want. And I think that's one use a lot of people get from board games as well. See, board games really helped me through stressful times. Like whenever I was in graduate school. So especially my first two years of grad school, I had two jobs. My last year of grad school, I had a job and I had my internship. So I was going to school, you know, six to 12 hours a week, plus then working two jobs. And it was really hard to, you know, make time for a significant other. I've talked about it before. Delton kind of felt like a roommate because we never saw each other except in the evenings. And we like had a meal together. And then I saw him before I left for work. And then I, we both lived like separate lives. And so board gaming was a way to help me to connect with Delton. Because whenever I got home from school, you know, I might get home at 7.30, 8 o'clock. It's really tempting just to eat some dinner and then sit and watch TV next to him for like two hours. And so we're in each other's company, but it's not really the same. You're not interacting. And so even whenever I was very tired, at least once a week, I made myself, and I say that it's not a bad thing that I made myself, but I made myself, instead of watch TV, we played a board game together. And I really felt like that helped us to connect because I forced, I made myself have that time with him where I interacted with him one-on-one. And I feel like that helped me to really grow and feel closer to Delton whenever it was a time when we really couldn't be together that much. Yeah, I essentially did just have a roommate when Haley was in graduate school because she was so busy constantly. She was taking all the classes, also working on top of that, coming home, doing her homework, writing her papers, preparing presentations. So I kind of lived like a bachelor life a little bit with a girlfriend on the side. That's kind of how it felt at times. Eating Oreos at nine o'clock at night. Exactly. But playing board games, able to get her to sit down, stop stressing out about stuff, stop thinking about everything and sit and play, focus on play which in turn made us focus on each other and not everything else going on. And so I think that was very helpful for us, getting us through your graduate school stuff, which was a three-year process of disaster. And for anybody that has a master's degree, when you go through psychology in Oklahoma, you have to have 60 hours, not 30, which is why it was a three-year degree with summer classes versus the standard two-year for most master's programs. Um, Some people don't realize that that's a thing, but it's double the hours, so Haley went through a lot. But it helped us connect more. Fun fact, I didn't start drinking until grad school. That is definitely true. We drank a lot more <laughs> whenever you were in grad school. Who are better now? <laughs> a little bit better as we drink our beers on the podcast. So yeah, so board games really helped me through a rough time, and it helped me to be able to stay connected with my Delty Poo. Plus, we got to have a lot more fun. It was a time that I had to make time for, and so in some ways, board games were like a chore, but it was more like a maintenance for my happiness. Exactly, it was. It was one of those things that Pulls you out of the world that you're in and puts you down in the moment with the people there and a game in front of you, something to keep your mind on, but also it just gives you that escape a little bit. And I feel like that's another element of board games is you can kind of escape reality just from everything, but at the same time, it almost puts you not escaping reality, 
but it brings you to the present. You're not thinking about what happened. You're not thinking about what's going to happen. You're thinking about right here, right now, with who's at the table. What's my next move? Yeah, like you say, it's a perfect mindfulness activity. You know, whenever we're feeling really, really anxious, sometimes our automatic negative thoughts, therapy term, sometimes our thoughts lead us to think about the future, think about the worst that could happen when we're feeling depressed. We might think about what we're missing out, what we're not doing, uh, what's holding us back. And so it's really hard to be present and mindful in those situations. And in graduate school, I was constantly stressing about something going wrong, stressing about getting homework done, stressing about juggling everything in the world. And so board games give you like an hour and a half where you have to focus on the board game. You have to focus in order to make the game work. And so I was really grateful for that. Those are just some of the benefits that board games bring to people. I mean, we all, of course, play them for fun. Sometimes we play them because we want to feel smart when we solve a problem or we want to feel accomplished as a team or solo when we go through a campaign or a story driven game that requires something difficult or a puzzle game or if we beat a high score. It's all those accomplishments definitely feel great. But there's more to board games that sometimes I think people don't focus on. And in the end, it comes down to you spending time with other people getting away from everything else going on, whether it's happy, whether it's sad, whether it's exciting, whether it's depressing, whether it's anxiety, or if it's just straight up joy, it brings you into the moment with people around you that are in the same moment with you, and it grounds you there around one common thing. Which is defeating Delton. Which is defeating me. And it brings people together. And that's in the end, that's what we want from board games, is to bring people together to play with people, make friends, include everyone, and just have a good time. And defeat Delton. And defeat me. And I think that's really what board games are all about. See, if we could afford it, this is where we would put in one of those like NPR transition songs. I'm not putting in your transition song you try to get into every episode. No, we're going to do the transitions I made right now. And now, join us. For a Malt House Games podcast special, my size question. So the last thing for this episode is going to be the question of the episode. We thought, tying into our theme like we usually try to do, what is your game that you want to play if you've had a bad day? If you're just not feeling well, you're sad, you're upset, and you just want to have straight up fun playing a game at the end of the day to relieve yourself from those emotions you've had, What's your go-to game? Y'all are going to make fun of me, and I don't really care. I love Ticket to Ride. Not Maryland Edition, not New York Edition, not any of those fancy European editions. Just plain Jane, regular old Ticket to Ride. Because A, it's easy. You think we don't have to think that much. And B, it's just fun. Like, I know that it's a simple game, and I know that it's not very complex. But it was one of the first board games I was introduced to, so it's one I know the best. And it's just fun and light and enjoyable, and there's colors, and you get to run your husband over with a train. It's fantastic. She does almost always win Ticket to Ride, unless I play to purposely mess her up, which I've done before, which is really rude. Because it's not rude because he's done it. It's rude because he complains about mean games. So an entire (laughs) episode of a podcast complaining about mean games. And then what does he do? He becomes a jerk face in the game. I'm like, Delton. Yeah, I don't like it when games are mean. And uh, and yet. I played the mean game one time on Ticket to Ride. It was the app, but still, that was fun. I was so mad. We were sitting in a laundromat in Kentucky, 
And I was about to just walk out the door and sit in the car and leave his ass behind. <laughs> so that's your choice. That's a good one. I think for me, if I'm having a bad day and I'm having a sad day and I want to enjoy a game, here's the thing for me. If I have to think a lot and I'm going to end up losing most likely, I'm going to get more frustrated. So I have a big problem where I get really frustrated in games if I'm trying really, really hard. Haley's very lackadaisical about her approach to the game. Even if she has a great strategy in mind, she doesn't show it. She acts like she has no strategy at all, which drives me nuts. So I get frustrated. So I think for my game that would be the most fun to help my day out, it's probably going to be a dexterity game. And I think I'm going to say it's going to be flick em up off the top of my head. Oh, God. One, Haley's terrible at the games. I'm awful. I will never, have never, and will never win that game. The thing I love about dexterity games like that is, and I'm going to specifically talk about flick em up. For me, it's just fun. You get your little cowboys, you're flicking these little bullets trying to knock over your other cowboys. You're going around this town and we always, you know, howdy partner, you ain't going to be around long. And we always do the like, You're making fun of my sound effects. That was like 14 keys off. <laughs> That's okay. But there's something just, to me, objectively fun about Flick 'em Up. Getting in the mood of where the lawmen and the outlaws were fighting over a town. You know, you're flicking bullets at each other. You're doing weird things where you shoot somebody and he flies off the table. And it's just fun. I've had a, Every time I've played that game, I've had a great time. Anytime we introduce it to somebody... They have a great time. Everybody at least comes out going, that was a fun experience to play. And for me, that's the kind of game that I want to play if I'm not feeling well and I want to feel better. I don't want to have something where I have to think and concentrate and focus. I don't want to have something where winning or losing feels a little more the focus, where flick em up winning and losing doesn't really feel like the focus of the game. It feels like the focus is enjoy this experience. So for me, Dexterity games, but more specifically, flick them up, I think is going to be my answer. So not that I don't have fun with those games. I just come to accept the fact that I will never win them. And that's okay. That's the cross-eyed bear. The cross-eyed bear. Exactly. So I think that that perfectly wraps up this episode pretty well. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Malthouse Games Podcast episode 27. Make sure to hit us up on Twitter at Malthouse Games or Facebook. Uh, we also have an email, contact at malthousegames.com. Send us the information of what's your favorite game to play whenever you're not in a good mood, because maybe those games are ones that we would like. And if you post them on our Twitter or something like that, we can talk a little bit about them, why you like them. And who knows, maybe you'll show us something we've never heard of, which would be awesome because there's never too much room for games. Wait, there's never not enough room, never too many games. It all makes sense in my head. Delton, you were just complaining about culling your board game collection shit, five shit, minutes shit, before shit, this shit, because you've shit, lost. Shit. All the room on your board game shelves, you communist. That's because Gen Con games need a place to go now, and they don't have it, but that's okay. Thank you guys for listening. I am Delton Brack, at Delton Brack on all social media. Haley is at Squirrely Geek. S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-L-Y-G-E-E-K. Like I said, hit us up on social media at Malthouse Games and let us know anything you want to let us know. That's really what it comes down to. Remember, next episode, number 28, is going to be all about Canada and BGGCon in Dallas. It should be a good one. Stay tuned. So until then, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you all later. Goodbye. Bye.